This is Wahid Jensen, and you are listening to Away Beyond the Rainbow. And welcome to a brand new episode of Away Beyond the Rainbow, this podcast series dedicated to Muslims experiencing same-sex attractions who want to live a life true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Islam. I'm your host, Wahid Jensen. Thank you so much for joining us in today's episode. Joining me again today is my friend Hashim as a co-host of this episode. Salam alaikum, Hashim. Alaikum salam, brother Wahid. How are you doing? I'm good, alhamdulillah. How are you this week? I'm good, alhamdulillah. Good. Good to see you again. It's good to see you too. Thank you. Um, today's uh, two episodes are published back to back, inshallah, and um, they constitute the last two episodes of our spiritual series of this podcast. In this episode, we will be talking about desires and shahawat. We'll be talking about the whisperings of the nafs and different techniques on how to curb our desires to the best of our abilities. And in the next episode, inshallah, we'll be talking about spiritual awakenings and tying together all of the topics that have been presented from episode 14 until this episode. So let's get started, inshallah. So as everyone knows, um, in the past couple of episodes with Hashim, we have covered the stories of Adam and Eve, peace be upon them, as well as their struggle with Satan and all of the um, lessons that we could derive from that story in particular and how it applies to us as humans, first and foremost, and as individuals who experience same-sex attractions. And then in the last episode, we spoke about the story of the people of Lut and so many lessons that we could also derive from all of these stories. Now, if we are to look at the common denominator that is shared among these stories, we can see that there is this uh, obvious theme of shahawat or desires. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Nazi'at, as for him who fears standing before his Lord and forbids his soul from caprice or al-hawa. So in Arabic, al-hawa means caprice or unlawful inclinations. Um, but if we look at the term hawa on its own in Arabic, um, it means to love or to lust, but it is also related to the verb that implies to fall. Imagine someone falling from a high state to a low state. That is what hawa means. So in other words, it is a metaphor to lustful desires, which cause the hawa or the fall of an individual from greatness to degradation. Uh, the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes us to spiritual heights and opposite to this, when we pursue the lowly and lustful desires that we have, this leads to a degraded state. And again, when we pursue them and when we make our life revolve around them, as opposed to being patient against them and making sure that we are protecting ourselves from them or fighting against them and seeking support and, and God's help in the process. Um, so this is what hawa means. Um, if we look at the term shahwa, shahwa in general means desires. 
And we know that we have so many different desires uh, and they are relevant to our different body parts. With this body that we have been given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have, we have all of these desires which we can channel in good ways and righteous ways and, in, and maintain a state of balance or we can take it to an extreme of indulgence or excessive pursuit of these particular desires. So for example, we can have the shahwa of the stomach which means that we need food. Now food, we need it as a form of sustenance and everyone needs to um, to supply themselves with proper nutritious food to be able to live and to carry on with this life. But excessive desire of food, excessive eating and drinking, excessive indulgence, that becomes problematic. Um, and so the, the term here is excessive. So we underline the term excessive. This is the key, right? So we all need food and water, obviously, to survive, but, but anything in excess becomes a problem. So, so the idea that desires are are kind of normal and natural, and if kind of uh, directed towards you know, within Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's wisdom and guidance, are good for us. So, like eating food to nourish us. But as soon as we kind of step out of that bounds, and you know, as soon as we kind of commit an excess or go beyond that, then it becomes dangerous for us. Because it kind of goes back to the point of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is needless of us, but He loves us and He wants us to grow towards Him. And so he sets these things for our own safety and our own kind of um, steps that we need to take towards success, right? Absolutely. Yeah, as you said, perfectly said, mashallah. So as far as the stomach is concerned, that is one aspect. Another body part is the eyes. So, you know, our eyes, uh, we use them to see around and to communicate and to pursue our daily life as we want uh, or as it should be. But we can indulge through our vision by excessively looking at people or belongings of other people or material wealth and so on. Looking at people's bodies, for example, people's beauty, people's aura, right? The, the private parts which should be concealed. Uh, we can indulge with our vision and take it to an extreme of pursuing pornography. Or um, another example is just mindlessly scrolling through social media like Instagram and Facebook and looking at other people's photos for hours and hours and hours. And this can even take us to looking at semi-naked and even naked pictures. Um, so that would be this excessive indulgence of not using the vision where Allah wanted us to use it. And for the sake of good, for the sake of you know, carrying on with our lives and moving in the in the direction that pleases him, we take it into in a different direction. And I think I think this this whole idea, especially with people who struggle with with SSAs and this constant looking outside ourselves for things that we wish to complete within ourselves, and 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 you know, and this whole theme of us having been given these body parts in order for us to grow and to find Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, our eyes have been given us to us in order for us to see the creation of, of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and to, to be able to recognize Him. Um, but it, you know, we can take it too far if we're trying to achieve certain needs by doing the wrong thing with the things that He's given us. It kind of leads us into problems. It leads us into kind of like a downward spiral. So. And need to be aware of how we should channel the gifts that we've been given, the tools that we've been given to achieve our goal of finding him rather than being separated from him, I imagine. 100%. Oh, absolutely. 
Um, and it follows from the eyes that there is also an indulgence with the shahwa of sex and the lower desires of, you know, any sexual acts outside of marriage between a man and a woman. So we're looking at the private parts as organs that Allah has, has given us in order to reproduce. And he has given us a proper channel, which is marriage between a man and a woman to be able to procreate and raise a family and for us to enjoy ourselves within the union of marriage. Now, anything outside that particular channel that is lawful, involving, for example, fornication, adultery, sodomy, and so on, uh, this becomes the blameworthy desires that Allah warns us from. Um, and then this can also apply to to masturbation according to the the um, school of law or the fiqh that is followed, especially when we talk about excessive masturbation, that becomes a problem. Um, so that's as far as private parts are concerned. We can also talk about the desires of the mind. So our mind constantly fantasizing or thinking about things that are not lawful, such as, for example, constantly and excessively thinking about uh, prohibited sexual acts or particular behaviors or particular sins or wrongdoings, whether towards ourselves or towards other people. So that becomes problematic or having bad thoughts about other people. And it can also apply to the heart itself. And here we're talking about emotions and we're talking about the spirit. So if, if we have bad feelings towards certain people, if we're talking about diseases of the heart, such as arrogance, pride, uh, distrust, which is showing off our good deeds to other people because we want attention, because we want them to, to talk about us in a good way, right? Or, again, if we are excessively attached to specific people or to certain emotions, um, again, this is excessive. This is going beyond what is healthy for us as individuals, what is healthy for our bodies, our minds, our spirits. Um, and so all of this together um, can give us an idea about those desires that Allah has put in us because we have this worldly body that we live in and we have the spirit. So the spirit yearns uh, for its creator and wants to reach high states, but this body that we live in for this during this life is kind of, you know, is limited by these desires. And it depends on how we channel these desires and how we get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala versus um, how we distance ourselves from him, as you said earlier. Um, and, and one question is, how do we know if something is excessive? So how do I know I don't really know if what I'm doing is excessive or not? Some people have said that if you think about this particular thing for most of your day, or if you take that day and most of your day is spent thinking about that, or a large part of your day is spent thinking about that particular thing, or maybe if it's the first thing that you wake up to in the morning, or if you go to sleep thinking about that particular thing, or if you think about that during prayer, and that is a very important point because usually we might be focused during our work and everything else, but once we go to the prayer, then we start, you know, our mind starts wandering and it goes to the things that it enjoys the most. So if, if any of these applies to us, then that might be something that's actually overtaking our mind and we kind of need to be vigilant about that. So, so this whole idea of um, shahawat and, and desire, remember in the previous episodes we were talking about the story of um, Adam and, and his wife Eve and Satan and kind of what happened in the garden of how Satan 
um, you know, makes this promise to mislead mankind. So remember the three things that we spoke about with like Satan identifies or sees a weakness in you. He then exploits that by, uh, you know, uh, whispering things to us that we think we want and perhaps hooking into these desires. Um, and then, and then, you know, and in doing so kind of gets us to go towards things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has warned us or told us not to go towards. And, you know, and, and we do it, you know, we're overcome by our desires. We think we want to get them met. And in a way, we then we then have our clothes stripped from us in, in that kind of proverbial sense, in the, in the sense that we bring harm upon ourselves by by going towards that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us, you know, not to. And it's in, and like you're saying that the common theme is this weakness or this having this desire that Satan you know exploits within all of us. So, um, you know, like in the story of Adam, Naisan in Surah Al-Araf, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and, and this is the kind of the entire kind of narrative of kind of what happened. So he says, um, and we have certainly created you, referring to mankind, and giving you form. And then we said to the angels, prostrate to Adam. So they prostrated except for Iblis. He was not of those who prostrated. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, what prevented you from prostrating when I commanded you in, in his discussion with Satan? So Satan says, I am better than he, referring to Adam. Uh, you created me from fire and created him from clay. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds and says, descend from paradise, for it is not for you to be arrogant therein. So get out. Surely you are among the debased. And then Satan responds, you know, grant me reprieve until the day they are resurrected. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds and says, surely you are among those granted reprieve. And then Satan says, because you have put me in error, I will surely sit and wait for them on your straight path. Then I will come to them from before them and from behind them and on their right and on their left. And you will not find most of them grateful unto you. Um, and then obviously Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in another verse in Surah Al-Araf goes on to say, and this is like a reminder for all of us now, having heard the story of what happened to Adam, and, and, and having understood kind of Satan's uh, plan uh, to kind of get us off the straight path. So he, this is the warning, which basically says, O children of Adam, let not Satan tempt you as he removed your parents from paradise, stripping them of their clothing to show them their private parts. Indeed, he sees you, he and his tribe, from where you see them not. Surely we have made the devils allies to those who do not believe. So you know, you've got these things you know, going on, these concepts being brought forward about sort of envy and arrogance and, and hatred. So this is all kind of going on in, in Satan, having, you know, having been, uh, been shown up by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when, when he you know, refused to prostrate, he refused to bow. Um, and kind of his aim is now, you know, he's on like a, he's on a mission now to prove that he was right not to have bowed to Adam's potential. You know, he's trying to sort of prove that Adam and not only Adam, but but us as well, by extension as us being his, his children, that we were not worthy of being bowed to and not worthy of being called you know, Allah's vicegerent or Khalifa on earth, right? So, you know, Satan's on this mission to kind of prove God wrong and that he sort of knew better than God. And when God's saying, you know, bow to, bow to, um, bow to Adam and Satan's going, no, you know, I'm better than him. Why, why would you be telling me to do this? So, um, you know, and we said in the previous episode that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed Satan to exist because his kind of very presence and kind of uh, being part of this journey of all of ours to find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, him being there helps us recognize good, right? When, when we see the evil consequences of, of following 
his advice as opposed to following Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's advice. We see, you know, it makes us realize the contrast sort of makes us realize the wisdom and the benefit and the love that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has when he asks us or tells us to do certain things, you know, not, not for his benefit, you know, for, for our benefit, right? And in a way, and it's sad, but in, in a way, sometimes only when we ourselves or we see other people following Satan's advice or not following Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's commands and kind of falling down to this pit of, you know, despair or or loss or disadvantage either to themselves or to their communities and societies. Only when we see that, we can kind of step back and go, you know, subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was right. He, you know, he he is the source of all wisdom. You know, who else would I want to worship other than him? This whole idea that, this whole idea that we come into worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not because we are we are slaves in the sense that we're just doing what we're told, but we want to worship him because we see his wisdom, we see his beauty, you know, we we want to remain in his bounds, we want to pray to him, we want to fast for him, we want to do these things, you know, um, and, and kind of only being able to see those things when you've seen things go wrong, when you've seen Satan, you know, play his games and, and win in certain cases. You know, only doing that sometimes, only seeing that sometimes helps us maybe recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, so you know, in, in a way, Satan thinks he's won by kind of saying, you know, I've got to the day of judgment to lead you all astray. Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, he's the best of planners. He knows that this is a, a means by which some of us, inshallah, will, will be able to recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and you know, fall in, fall in love with him and fall, you know, fall into, fall into obedience through our desire to want to be closer to him and to get closer to this to perfection, right? So, inshallah. So, um, so, so, and then as, as, sorry, as an extension then of Satan, so even having desires or, or having tests in life are all things that, that bring us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Um, and, and, uh, and, and so, you know, the, the, Satan, test, desires, these are all different challenges in a way, challenges that we can use to build ourselves. So, you know, we spoke previously about how we recognize beauty in people, like when they have developed these beautiful qualities of forgiveness, of, of reliance, of resilience, these sort of things. But these things are only developed through difficult situations, right? Mm-hmm. So th- this whole idea of, you know, when we undergo these repeated desires and whispers, um, they are kind of the necessary stimulus for us to build ourselves as individuals and to, um, you know, to hold on. Do you know the Quran talks about the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So the only reason you would hold on to a rope is if something is shaking you or something's going wrong in your life and you have to reach out and, and hold on to something in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and having tests or having to battle with or confront our innermost desires to perhaps want to do things that take us away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Being in that situation is a reason for us to reach out and hold on to the rope. And and only good comes out of going towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And only growth and success will come from us having reached out for that rope. So so, so, so it kind of this whole thing about desires existing as a stepping stone, which we can then use to grow towards towards Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and um, you know through trying to conquer them over and over again, and through directing ourselves 
in response to them towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's, you know, his provision, his sort of outlets, you know, the things that he provides. Um, and, and, and by doing so, we get closer to him, right? And that's, remember, and going back to what's the purpose of all of this, what's the purpose of life, what is every niyat that we do, you know, to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these, these are just a means, a way that he can nudge us towards him through his mercy of wanting us to, to discover him and to, to find him, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then, and then the reward of all of that obviously is, is of, of going towards him is, is kind of these divine openings, this kind of uh, resulting happiness, peace and tranquility that comes from being in that sort of garden that, you know, Ibrahim salam was in, you know, he, surrounded by the fire, but his love and his connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala meant that he was in a garden. And I remember going to a lecture once and being told, you know, you don't have to wait till the day of judgment to enter paradise. You could be in paradise right now if you had that connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But whatever's going on, you know, around you in your life, if you're holding on to that rope and you know that everything, as long as you're doing the right thing, everything will be okay in the end, that, you know, there is more to this life, that that kind of brings that kind of stillness and peace and calm to a person no, no matter what their situation right mm-hmm. so so this whole idea of, of uh you know having you know encountering lust encountering desires encountering struggles and trials to to build us is you know it's it's the reason you know why, why we're here in order to help us find them. um and and then sort of discussing you know the, the comparison between humans and angels so so um uh, Imam Ali radiallahu anhu you know, has said, you know, there's a hadith from him that says, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the angels from intellect, right? And he did not place lust in them, right? Mm-hmm. And and on the other side, he created the animals with lust, but he did not place intellect within them. So animals just, just you know, work on their, their instincts and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to humans, when it comes to us, he placed both intellect and lust in the children of Adam, okay? And so why? Why would he do that, right? Why would he put both in us? You know, things could have been so much easier if we didn't have, have lusts, right? We would right. just be like angels and we would obey and we would just do what we were told and whatever. Mm-hmm. So so the hadith goes on to say, therefore, he's whose intellect overcomes his lust is greater than the angels. And he whose lust overcomes his intellect is lower than the animals. So. So, so this idea that we've got these two things in us is intellect and lust in order to be able to use one to overcome the other, in order for us to grow, in order for us to be greater than the angels. And then, you know, personally, I think that kind of then explains why this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks the angels to bow to Adam alayhi salam because of the potential that, that this creation or us as children of Adam have in order to, to grow, to be more than, than we are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but then again, obviously, it um, it works in the opposite direction as well. So, just like it says here, you know, his his, his in, if, if if his lust overcomes his intellect, then that can lead into the opposite direction. So, that this idea of, of us living in this world of cause and effect. If, if your intellect overcomes your lust, you can grow higher and grow higher spiritually. But if your lust overcomes your intellect, it has an equal and opposite reaction in that you, you lower yourself, you know, you would become worse than a, an animal. And as some of us, you know, let's be honest, some of us have done things that even animals, you know, wouldn't do. You know, if we, if we, sometimes if I look at some of the things that 
happened in my life. I'm like, why would I do such a dumb thing, right? Mm. Um, and you kind of think, what was going on there? And it's because, you know, it's exactly what it says here. You know, there, there have been times when your desires just overwhelm you so much. And mm-hmm. you're, you know, you, I'll speak about myself, that, you know, there have been times when you're so, I'm so disconnected from God that like he is not, you know, present in my thoughts and in my life which means then that my desires can overwhelm me and that's all I think about and this world and who I am and what I can achieve and am I desirable and am I seen by other people as being this or that. That It's, it's really easy to fall into that, isn't it? It's just, right. um, Yeah, and sometimes we're actually taken by surprise. So you find a lot of right. people who are in that spiritual high, but somehow something happens and they're taken by surprise and then they're like, oh my God, what was I thinking? What happened? <laughs> Right, because we're human yeah. at the end of the day, and sometimes we're overpowered by these desires. Absolutely, absolutely. But then, Subhanallah, that that's that's a lesson, isn't it? Because it's something, it's uh, it's something we go through that pulls us off our high horse sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and we will talk about this later. That sometimes you you can get to a position where you think, oh, I'm so great, you know, I'm refraining from this, I'm refraining from that, blah blah blah. And actually, you know, God's like whoa there you, you've got uh, you've got a lot a long way to go um but it's good it's good because it helps it, it humbles us and it helps us see where we are and sees that we do have to constantly hold on to him constantly hold on to that rope and not you know, you know so um so this idea of of kind of elevating and lowering ourselves based on how we react to these lusts you know this whole concept has kind of been addressed in um, Surah al in, in the Quran, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And certainly we have created man in the best of stature. Then we returned him to the lowest of the low, except for those who believe and do righteous deeds, for they will have a reward uninterrupted. Okay? So, so this idea that you know, we have this potential, and if we don't channel ourselves in, in, in the correct way within you know the, the advice of the all wise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, if we don't do that then we we become lower yes? and we the result is that we lower ourselves and and the the, the verse basically says except for those who believe and do righteous deeds in the sense that you know if we have faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if we hold on to him and through that if we live in the way he's asked us to live he's told us to live um, then we will have achieved that potential that made you know, made him say to the angels, bow to Adam or bow to us by extension, right? That's very true. Yeah. And actually, um, talking about this, we remember the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ who said, um, paradise is surrounded by hardships and in Arabic, and hellfire is surrounded by temptation and desires. Um, and Similarly, according to another hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, um, uh, the angel Jibreel was commanded to look at the fire, after which he said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by your honor, no one shall enter it. And then God ordered that the fire be surrounded by pleasures, and he instructed in, uh, the angel Jibreel to look at it once more. And upon seeing the temptations and the pleasures that were surrounding this fire, uh, Jibreel re- said, by your honor, I fear no one will be saved from it, but they shall all enter it. Which actually means because the, the fire has been surrounded by temptation and it has been surrounded by pleasures and everyone is susceptible to that, 
then it means that everyone actually has the potential of, of falling and continuing to fall and actually ends up ending up in, in hellfire. May Allah protect us from that. And by the same token, paradise has been, has been surrounded by hardships because paradise has a price to earn. And, and that involves us going through hardships and trials and tribulations to purify us and to strengthen us, to, be, to make us worthy of going back to where we came from. Right, as we were talking in the previous episodes. And in another hadith of the Prophet, he said, Whoever guarantees me what is between his two jaws, meaning his tongue, and what is between his two thighs, uh, meaning his sexual desire, I shall guarantee him paradise. And there's always an emphasis, as we see, on, on the tongue in terms of, you know, using your speech wisely, avoiding all unlawful speech, whatever that may be, and using your speech in, in, in ways to better yourself, to better other people, or to remain quiet. Because a lot of times remaining quiet is a virtue uh, that many of us, unfortunately, we, we, we are not able to exercise. Um, so, and, and the implications of all of these, all of these ahadith is, is clear. Chastity and being virtuous are difficult things, but they are essential. And it's very important for us to try as much as we can to uphold them. And self-restraint is also a challenging, but also an important ethical imperative. And it comes from the tawfiq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he allows a person to successfully uphold those virtues because they're not easy. And everything that we have uh, that is good comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when we are given the tawfiq based on uh, based on you know the the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa taala and based on us striving as well to maintain that because it takes you know th- there is a an, a part of it that involves us making that step towards Allah subhanahu wa taala being sincere and striving as much as we can so when we have success in upholding those virtues Allah rewards us inshallah with paradise inshallah inshallah but I think. I mean, I mean, like like the hadith says, like paradise is surrounded by hardships, hellfire is surrounded by temptation and desires. For for us, when we're not conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're not conscious of the bigger picture of things, why wouldn't we avoid hardship? Why wouldn't we not go towards temptation and desires, right? But, um, you know, we're, we're, we've said before, we live in a world where nobody talks about the unseen anymore. Nobody talks about day of judgment without kind of smirking and thinking it a bit as a bit of a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And... And so when you've taken that away from our understanding of life and who we are and what we're doing here, it becomes so easy to you know, avoid hardships and it becomes so easy to say, well, why not give in to temptation, desire? Yeah. Why, why shouldn't I? So it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's hard, but it's this constant understanding of, um, like all the prophets told their people, this being aware of God, have taqwa, fear Allah, fear the consequences of, 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 of not taking his advice, understanding the bigger picture. I think that's that's so necessary in, in order to help us to differentiate between hardships and temptations and desires and what we should go towards and, and challenge us and what we should avoid. Absolutely. And um, Ibn Hazm, in his book, Tawq al-Hamama, meaning the ring of the dove, in a chapter entitled of the virtue of continence, he says, the finest quality that a man can display in love is continence, meaning to abstain from sin and all indecency. 
For so will he prove himself to be not indifferent to the heavenly reward, that eternal bliss reserved by God for those who dwell in his everlasting kingdom. Nor will he disobey his master, who has been so gracious to him in appointing him to be a creature worthy of receiving his commandments and prohibitions who sent unto him messengers and caused his word to be immovably established with him all this as a mark of his care for us subhanahu wa ta'ala and his benevolence towards us the man whose heart is distraught and his mind preoccupied whose yearning waxes so violent that it overmasters him and whose passion desires to conquer his reason and whose lust would vanquish his religion such a man if he sets up self-reproach to be his strong tower of defense is aware that the soul indeed ever commands unto evil as allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in surah yusuf and later ibn hazm describes the person who has blazing passion in him but remains patient and steadfast for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says surely he is worthy to rejoice tomorrow on the day of resurrection and to stand among those brought near to God's throne in the abode of recompense and the world of everlasting life. Surely he has a right to be secure from the terrors of the great uprising and the awful dread of the last judgment, and that Allah shall compensate him on the day of resurrection with peace for the anguish he suffers here below. May Allah make us among those people, inshallah. Amin, inshallah. And I think that that, that ties in so nicely to the idea in the Quran, you know, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, remember me and I will remember you, be thankful to me and don't be ungrateful in the sense that it all starts off with, you know, keeping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala front and center of our, our minds, which then helps keeps our desires in check. Because without that remembrance of Allah and bigger picture, mm-hmm. the desires do become overwhelming, they do become really tempting. And, and then you have no reason not to go towards them without that and wisdom or understanding of, of, exactly. of, of something bigger. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so, so this uh, remembrance of God can helps us and helps us to develop a heart that's you know devoted to Him and, and focused on Him. Um, if, if we want to be able to focus on God, then we have to sort of reduce the distractions that are going on around us to help us to, to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because anything that distracts us from him alienates us from him and and we we want to remove all of these obstacles or at least identify and, and push aside or deal with or treat or whatever we need to do in order to clear up our path towards him right so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in surah al-kahf he says make your soul patient with those who call upon their lord morning and evening desiring his face and turn not your eyes away from them desiring the adornment of the life of this world and obey not him whose heart we have made heedless of our remembrance and who follows his caprice or hawaa or lust um, and whose affair exceeds the bounds so so this idea of make us all patient with those who call upon the lord morning and evening so talking about sort of remembrance of god talking about prayer um centering ourselves not just praying and doing the actions and saying the words and you know zipping through it but actually mm-hmm consciously having that you know mehraj towards allah subhanahu wa ta'ala five times a day right mm-hmm. and, and and walking away from from the the um, you know your prayer mat kind of feeling feeling complete and feeling whole and feeling re-centered on, on this path and it's mm-hmm. hard it, it, it is difficult mm-hmm. and, and then it says you know turn not your eyes away from them 
desiring the adornment of the life of this world, you know, obey not him whose heart we have, make heed us of our remembrance, who follow his caprice. So, so many times, you know, we're flicking through Instagram, we're flicking through Facebook, like you were saying before, we are looking at people who are not living in God's way, right? Mm -hmm. And why, why, like ask ourselves, I ask myself that, why would I waste my time looking at someone like that, looking at someone living a lifestyle who is living in a way that this creator doesn't want him to live for his own good, for his own safety. Why am I constantly looking for that? What's going on within me? You know, this opportunity to sort of self-reflect and, and to put things into perspective. Right. So there's this idea that, you know, when we refrain from sin and, and we refrain from sort of darkness, that we allow, by, by holding on to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we allow light to enter our heart. Um, you know, and, you know, again, in Surah Al-Nur, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, tell the believing men to lower their gaze, as in to look, not to look at forbidden things, and to guard their private parts. And tell the believing women to lower their gaze, again, from looking at forbidden things, and to guard their private parts, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so this idea of um, don't look at forbidden things, you know, stop this, this chain reaction as early as you can, Right. Remember the whole idea about prevention being better than cure. Mm -hmm. um, and then because I think from my understanding of this verse, you know, it says tell the demon to lower their gaze and to guard their private parts, because if you don't know your gaze, it will then lead on to you committing something with your private parts that we probably shouldn't do. Right. right? Yeah. So it's, um, it's, it's this chain reaction, one thing leading to another. Mm -hmm. And this whole idea of if we do protect ourselves in this way, um, you know, protecting our chastity just being one thing of many things that we need to protect as, as Muslims. But um, this idea that um, if we do that, then it leads on to this light entering our hearts. Because even in that in that surah that I just quoted, um, straight after that comes the verse about um, about the light, right? So Ayat al-Nur. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. The example of his light is like a niche within within which there is a lamp and the lamp is within a glass and the glass is as if it were a pearly white star lit from the oil of a blessed olive tree neither of the east nor of the west whose oil would almost glow even if untouched by fire so light upon light allah guides to his light whom he wills and allah presents examples for the people and allah is knowing of all allah is knowing of all things mm -hmm. so so there is this idea that if we do certain things if we protect ourselves if we stop you know if we overcome our desires or we don't give into them if we stop ourselves before things become too bad then the result is this um likeness of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's light entering our heart um for for those who, who obey his command and heed his prohibitions sort of the result of, of this um this light this heart that is enlightened you know it, the, you know, the result of that is blessings coming to it from all sides, right? So, and, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala entering your life and giving you that sort of inner peace, which is what, what we're all looking for, right? Um, but the, the opposite is, if, if our hearts are darkened, because we haven't taken his advice, we've kind of allowed ourselves to become overwhelmed by by our desires and by, by engaging in them, it kind of leads to sort of darkness and and then the natural results of, of not taking the advice of the all-knowing which is you know calamity and 
and, and evil in the sense of, of harm that we bring upon ourselves. Yeah. So then the, the, the result of this sort of darkened heart is that we've lost that closeness, we've lost that connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and the, the darkened heart is, if you imagine when, when a place has no light, a place has nothing, nothing illuminating it, we're left blind in a sense, right? We need light to bounce off things in order for us to recognize things. And so without that light within our heart, we're left like you know a blind man stumbling in the darkness. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this again in Surah An-Nur, um, and, and I think we mentioned it, um, it was mentioned in episode 14 when we're talking about different types of, of darknesses that, that we can encounter. Um, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, for they are like darknesses within an unfathomable sea, which is covered by waves, upon which are waves, over which are clouds, darknesses, some of them upon others. When one puts out his hand therein, he can hardly see it. And he to whom Allah has not granted light, for him there is no light. And, and I think we can relate, you know, sometimes we, we enter places in our lives, times in our lives where we're so engulfed with, with our desire, we're so engulfed in sin, we're so engulfed with doing things that Allah doesn't want us to do, that we lose sight of who we are, right? We, we lose sight of that potential that the angels bow to, we lose sight of us being creations, souls, you know, you know, breathed into in the spirit of Allah has you know Allah has breathed his spirit into us. You know, how special is that? And how how much we forget that when we are engulfed in these kind of practices and in these kind of you know behaviors and these kind of fantasies that, that we indulge in. We we you know, I, I can so see what, what the Quran means, that we lower ourselves below the animal sometimes when, when we lose that connection. So, mm-hmm. and so, you know, and, and again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to this in, in Surah Al-An'am. He says, you know, and is one who was dead and we give him life and make for him light by which to walk among the people like one who is in darkness, never to emerge therefrom. Thus, it has been made pleasing to the disbelievers that which they were doing. So this idea that what we do takes us into darkness, but at the same time, we can come out of that by enveloping ourselves in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, enveloping ourselves in his wisdom and, and, and his advice um, to allow light to then enter our hearts. So you know, that, this idea that there is a way to pull ourselves out of that darkness. If we take that step towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will then return that by running towards us, like we said previously, and, and by by enlightening us and, and helping us move forward. So so this idea that, you know, with his light comes true insight, you know, and which you, or we can use that insight to distinguish between truth and falsehood, sincerity and, and lies and, and all these other things that, that we go through. So, um, so remember that we were talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewarding us for our good deeds with, with something similar. So if we give up something for his sake, he, he will compensate us with something something better, right? So this is this world that we live in of cause and effect. Mm-hmm. So, so in the same way, if, if we curb our desires, if we lower our gaze, if we challenge ourselves to remain steadfast, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will compensate us with true enlightenment. You know, he will open the doors of knowledge. Uh, he will give us faith and true insight, um, which 
which can only be attained by by means of light in our hearts. And 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 it happens. And remember that it happens according to his schedule, not not our schedules, right? So you know, sometimes we think, oh, you know, we'll, we'll give up something for a day or a week or a month and expect things to change, but he does it on his own schedule. But but he always pulls through, right? He he always pulls through for us um, at the end of the day. And even if we don't recognize it immediately, he plans and he's the best of planner and he will meander or, or, or change things around us to enable us to make things easier for us. And I, I know that the struggle is, is, is really hard for a lot of people, you know, and um, even I've kind of in my past been through a lot of things where I've, you know, been alone and thought, you know, well, what does this mean? Am I going to be alone for the rest of my life? Um, you know, if I don't engage in this, am I you know, going to just be, you know, some guy sitting in a house by himself? But actually, looking back, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he just takes care of those, you know, um, um, like I, I always tell myself, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care of his lovers and his lovers take care of others, right? It's, um, he, he, will, he will always be there, he will always look after you and he will always pull through and he will always help you achieve that sense of peace knowing that as long as you're doing the right thing, everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that in a way, that is the kind of light that he gives people who, who try and strive in his way that even from the outside, it might, might look difficult, whereas inside they are, they are in Ibrahim's garden, they're, they're in this sort of state of peace. Mm-hmm. And, and we, you know, and we see like from what we were talking about in, in the previous episode about, about the people of Lut, you know, what, what is the consequence of not having Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's light, you know, for not taking his advice, for not walking in his way, you know, this lack of light leads to blindness and that leads to wandering in the dark, right? And, and then we see that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was talking about the people of Lut in Surah Al-Hijr, he, say, he says, you know, by your life, referring to, he's swearing by the Holy Prophet's life, he says, indeed, they were wandering blindly in their drunkenness. So that the state that they put themselves in from not taking his advice, this kind of separation that they now have from God and because of the lack of light, they're, they're just wandering around, not knowing where they're going, not knowing what they're doing. So this constant sort of holding on to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this, this over and over again, this reaching out, this developing this grip on him. And it's not a one-time thing. It's a thing that we, we have to constantly do and we are still doing, right? It's uh, it's like a repeated exercise that builds the sort of strength that we have of our heart. And, and doing so brings things about, like we said, you know, peace and strength and steadfastness mm-hmm. uh, and as opposed to the weakness and the guilt and the shame and isolation um, that that comes through from 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 not holding on to him and from, from being away from him um, and, and you know and some of the benefits that that being close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings is that you know we improve our self-esteem you know knowing that we're doing the right thing not in a prideful way but in a way that kind of gives us a sense of inner security right mm-hmm. um, it improves our willpower. We end up with, with you know, better relations with our family, with our friends, with our colleagues, because we are more centered within ourselves, right? We're not, we're not, we don't have this inner loss within us that we know what we're doing and we know that everything was going to be all right. Um, and you know, we can focus then better on, on our purpose, on our career, on our career, um, and even focus better in our prayers, right? So we were talking about how sometimes, like in our prayers. When, when we're engulfed in our desires that you know, they're there all the time whereas 
when we've taken these steps to, to curb them, to address them, to, to deal, with, deal with them earlier on, it helps us focus better. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps us to make better use of our time, etc. So, right. so there's a hadith that talks about um, this concept. It basically says, the one who goes against his whims and desires, the shaitan flees from his shadow. So do you remember the idea that we were talking about how you know, if, if you disbelieve and you walk away from God, then you're, the result is that you're appointed a, a Satan or a Shaitan to kind of walk with you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the equal opposite of that is if you walk away from your whims and walk, you struggle against your desires, then that Shaitan then flees from you. So in a way, things should get easier if you take one step closer to Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes running to you, this kind of opposite reaction, but when we take the the opposite reaction when we take a step towards him is that he multiplies it manifold he helps us more than than we deserve when we try and go towards him mm-hmm. but then obviously like we were talking about the equal and opposite reactions are in that if we follow our whims and desires then we end up you know feeling with a sense of humiliation you know indignity worthlessness insignificance and, and we've all been there we've all felt like that and it, we feel worse you know when, when we've done things that we shouldn't have done maybe we've engaged in pornography or maybe we've engaged in some sort of illicit sexual act that we come home and we end up in this sort of downward spiral saying you know you know i'm rubbish i'm not worthy look what i've done it's it's you know it's um Mm-hmm. It's, it's these feelings that, that have come about by us walking away from that light and, and, and giving into our desires. So there's another hadith from Al-Hasan who says, even if they ride the finest of mounts, the effect of sin will never depart from them. Allah insists that the one who disobeys him will be humiliated. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Fatir, he says, whosoever desires honor and glory, to Allah belongs honor and glory altogether. In other words, you can get honor and glory only by obeying and worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and going towards him. And it goes on to say, unto him, as in referring to Allah, ascends the goodly word and he uplifts the righteous deed. In other words, so we say pious words and they should be followed up by righteous actions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we want to feel whole, if we want to feel honor, if we want to feel... Um, this sense of worthiness, then, then, then we find that through seeking, as in we find these things through obedience, our obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and remembrance of him and speaking goodly words and following them up with the righteous deeds is kind of, it's one leads to another, leads to another, right? right. And then we even say, when, and when we do Al-Qunut, we, we say, you know, um, um, you know, he is not humiliated whom you befriend, nor is he honoured whom you take as an enemy. So, so this idea is of, of us befriending Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, taking him as, uh, taking him as, our, as our wali um, and, and obeying him results in us having support and honor from him uh, in proportion to the obedience that we then show towards him. And then subhanAllah. So is it just shaitan that whispers to us and whispers evil into our minds and hearts? 
So to answer this question, uh, we went back to uh, the, the beautiful Qasida or poem that is known as Qasida al-Burda, which was written by Imam al-Busiri. And um, it, it's the, the, the entire um, poem is a beautiful piece of writing in praise of the Prophet Muhammad But there are two beautiful lines uh, from it. Um, and they're in the, they're towards the beginning where uh, he talks about the nafs or the self. And so they go as such, oppose your nafs and the shaitan and disobey them. And if they proffer you advice, then be suspicious of it and obey neither one of them, whether litigant or arbiter, for you know well the wiles of the litigant and the arbiter. So what he's trying to say is he's, um, he's setting a scene here. He's telling us that you are at odds with someone else. And this person that you are at odds with, in Arabic it's called khasam, an enemy, so to speak. And this person is always trying to get the better of you. He's trying to take advantage of your weaknesses. He's trying to rob you of your inborn tendency for taqwa and God consciousness and so on. And you and that person, you're standing in a courtroom before the judge. The judge is supposed to decide justly between the two of you and to grant each of you your proper rights. And in here, Imam al-Busiri says, if you are at odds with your nafs, so if your nafs here is acting as your enemy or your khasm, then you're not going to take your case to shaitan as your judge, because obviously the shaitan is going to rule against you and in favor of your nafs. And similarly, if the shaitan is the one who is your enemy and he's tempting you directly, if the shaitan is your khasm, then don't take your case to your nafs to act as the judge or the arbiter, because that nafs as well is going to rule against you and will side with shaitan. Um, and so from this, it kind of gives us the idea that, okay, there's shaitan and there's the nafs, which is our self. Um, and our self has its own desires. It has its own inclinations. Obviously, it craves certain things and it has its own whisperings. Our nafs whisper to us their own desires and the things that they want to do. And we are also taught in our deen of the different types of nafs. There are many levels of the nafs, and three of those levels or the types of nafs are mentioned in the Qur'an. Uh, so Allah speaks of an nafs al-ammara bisu, which means the, the nafs that commands the person to sin. And this is, um, this is the lowest kind of nafs. It is involved with the basic desires. All it wants is to indulge with the desires. Um, you know, it's not just shahawat that we spoke about, but also pride, envy um and we remember with pride and envy you know the sins of 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 shaitan uh, satan he had envy of adam and he had pride and arrogance in himself um so that's the nafs al-ammar it has all of these vices and so many other moral vices that kind of conspire against us and they they those are satan's playing field in our hearts and souls so to speak so this is the lowest kind of nafs, the one that indulges with its basic desires. A nafs that is higher than that, it has a higher station, is called a nafs al-lawama. And so this kind of admonishes the person who has committed the sin, right? There is a, a sort of a healthy guilt. Why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. I should make amends. Let me go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My God, this is so beneath me. How could I have thought about that? How could I have done that? And so on. So this is the nafs al-lawama which is talking. Sometimes we might refer to it as our own conscience. So it kind of um, helps us make tawbah. It pushes us 
to to reconcile with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then a third kind of nafs that is mentioned in the Quran, which has an even higher station than that, is a nafs al mutmainna, which means the secure and the calm nafs. That is the tranquil and the peaceful nafs. It's a kind of nafs that is in a higher spiritual state that is connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And obviously there are even higher states of the nafs as well. Now, the point from all of this is to say that we are subjected to our lowest nafs and the whispers from shaitan, obviously. And it's normal to feel that there are forces pulling us in a direction conflicting with our quote-unquote ideal self. When people talk about, you know, uh, especially in the, the topic of homosexuality and, and the sort of desires that people have, you know, people say, be true to yourself or uh, this is who I am. I guess would you would we say then that they're talking about the nafs al-amara, which are these things that draw us towards you know base desires, without sort of the intellect that we've been given to to shine a light on them to say, well, is this right that we should be doing this? You know, were we created to do this? Is this within Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's wisdom? So, I think it's I mean what you raised here. There are three three different types of nafs, right? Nafs al-amara, nafs al-lawama, nafs al I think that that's something really important that we should be aware of. Like when we talk about the self and being true to ourselves and who are we, um, it's easy to fall into the trap of adopting the nafs al-amara as who we are and, and what we should follow, right? Exactly. 100%. Yeah. And especially if those if those whisperings or those sayings, even from people, they appeal to our basic desires. If we're going to identify with those basic desires, then this is definitely very appealing to not only the shaitan, but also the snafs that is craving those desires itself. Um, and, and one can say that it's not like you achieve one station and then you're done. Um, like you're never going to go back to the lower nafs. No, we all oscillate between all these kinds of nafs. Sometimes we're craving all of these basic desires and the nafs of is the one who's whispering to us nonstop. Um, if we fall into sin, for example, we have the nafs al-lawama in action sometimes lamenting and, and, and pushing us to make tawbah. And sometimes we are very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we have that highest state, which is an amin al-mutma'inna, uh, you know, secure and peaceful. And then some other t- days we can go back to, you know, the, the nafs al-amara bisu because there are all of these desires that are coming up. So it's like a, a pendulum and, you know, we oscillate between different states. And especially in Ramadan, because we know that in Ramadan, um, uh, we know that the shayateen uh, are locked up during the holy month. And so it's a perfect opportunity for us to kind of uh, deal with our nafs. It is quality time to focus on the nafs, especially when we're fasting, because our basic desires are kind of sealed um, we, we are not allowed to engage in sexual intercourse uh, or to have food or drink or any of that. So we focus entirely on um, the purification of the self. It ties in really nicely with something um, Sheikh Fadr was saying on, on a talk he recently gave on, on strong support where he he spoke about, because, uh, you know, we were asking him, you know, what's going on here? These desires, these same-sex attractions, okay, outside from outside of a psychological approach, from a spiritual approach, why are we having these these feelings what's going on is it shaitan is it nafs what the one is what what's happening and he, he was basically i think his answer was basically that look shaitan can only whisper to a weakened nafs right he can only whisper to this nafs al-amara right and the way we we protect ourselves from it is by using our intellect is by moving towards this 
and you know nafs al mutmainna which is this calm and secure uh, nafs which is tranquil and peaceful this this state of peace knowing that you know in our obedience in, in our worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala everything will be okay and therefore like, like we were saying then then satan can't invade that sort of barrier that we've then put up between us and him because we are in this this higher spiritual state connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala absolutely yeah and you know as we said it's a process and we will go up and down we will inevitably slip and fall but what matters is that we get back up and we continue moving because this uh, shaitan loves despair he loves to whisper despair in our hearts over any failures that we go through. And it's just a trick of the shaitan to make us give up. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us of the Quran. For example, in Surah Al-A'raf, he says, which means the best outcome is for the righteous. So we keep on striving. Even if we fall, we get back up, we, we repent Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we make amends and we move on. And this is what matters. Let's now talk about how to curb our desires. And actually, uh, Hashem and I were discussing this before we started recording the episode, is that we're kind of, you know, we just want to put it out there that none of us has it all figured out and we're all not perfect individuals, obviously. None of us is. But when we mention this, it's we're saying that this is an ideal that we strive for. We try our best to reach those standards that are set by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This doesn't mean that any of us is going to achieve perfection or any of us is going to achieve those 100% of the time, 24-7. That's not going to happen. But we try our best to move in that direction. And if we fall, again, we get back up, we make amends, we make tawbah, and we keep on moving forward. So whatever we present here is a reminder for us, first and foremost, and before the listeners and everyone who listens to us, to kind of see this as something that we work on every single day. Um, you know, and, and we try our best and we, we, we seek the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the process, right? Right. So, so like looking at practical ways in which we can curb our desires in which we can gain practice in 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 controlling them this whole idea of using our intellect to overcome our lust as as from that hadith from imam ali so the first of those was was haya so um which means modesty right so and modesty is, is a comprehensive term it, it doesn't just mean you know the way you dress it's not just talking about hijab or you know the way you the way you cover yourself so it's it's a whole encompassing thing um, so it means the way you live your life, which includes, you know, the way we dress, how we walk, how we talk, you know, the types of relationships that we have with people, professional and otherwise. So in having haya, um, especially when you're struggling with, with SSAs and perhaps interacting with people of the same gender, and always remember not only about the way we dress, but the way we interact with them. You know, you know this whole idea of keep it halal, not just in terms of what we're looking at, but the types of interactions that we're having and, and being conscious of, of, of who we are, of, of why we're here, of, of you know, what we're doing. And, and the second thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to in, in the Quran is about lowering the gaze, right? So, uh, and it's, it's an easy thing to say, but actually this, it's this whole idea of Islam talking about prevention rather than cure. You know, it's, it's easier to stop something getting too, going, going too far than to then try and mm-hmm. uh, repair the damage that's been done. So this idea of, of of these eyes being sort of the things that plant seeds of desires into our heart and to and to you know to to care for your heart you know like you care for it right to to 
it's like with a child that like you would want to prevent your child from seeing things that are disturbing or seeing things that will, will upset them or seeing things that will that they're not ready to see right um so so the same thing if the eyes you know they talk about in, in western cultures like eyes being the windows of the soul but in the way that what we see goes directly into our heart and and can you know, taint our heart in a way right so um you know when, when we look at things like pornography and and things like that they are they are disturbing our heart we may we may not think it but you know it's our, our our eyes are things that are given to us they are gifts from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they will speak about us on on the day of judgment you know this is whole idea of our limbs talking about us saying you know like you know, hashim made me look at this hashim made me do this hashim made me do that why did he make me do this i didn't want to do this you know and then i'm going to be that either not being able to say anything or being you know saying that you know i i'm sorry i didn't know what i was doing i i was aiming for the wrong thing and I, i'm sorry that i used you in in that way so you know god wants to protect us from ending up in that situation right just like a father or a mother wants to protect their child from from getting hurt so so lowering the gaze you know qaid al basa you know which means restraining it and not allowing it to wander or, or dwell upon anything um which includes you know not looking at the the aura of of another person or 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 refraining from looking at um you know sites of desires like the you know parts of a person or things that 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 stimulate desire um and you know we said before like in surah an-nur it says you know tell the bleeding men to to lower their gaze and to guard their private parts that is purer for them indeed allah is acquainted with what they do you know allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what's going on he sees everything he knows the implications of what will happen if we look at things that we're not supposed to look at you know uh, he's he's just trying to protect us from from going down a bad road from things that lead to harm to ourselves and and, and there's a well known hadith of holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he tells imam ali radhiyallahu anhu he says do not let a second look follow the first the first look is allowed to you but not the second so this idea that you know you know when you're looking around we know about the first look when you're looking at something for the first time you know it's accidental because you have to kind of see where you're going you have to understand you know you so you don't fall over or who's around you but that first look um you know the first look is forgiven so you're looking around and and realize you know you, your eyes fall upon someone who is attractive or cute or, or whatever um and and then the the idea of of lowering the gaze is that we then look away right um and you you're not held responsible for the first look because you don't know that they're even there in the first place but once you realize that there is something there that you need to avert your gaze from then the the responsibility is on on us to then then do it right um and you know that 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 second glance that's the one which we are held accountable for that's the one which is within our conscious control so that's the one that the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is trying to warn us about and 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 it's tricky right and it's like with anything like you were saying before you know we this is not a one time thing and like with anything this developing this grip on the rope of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it takes practice right so you know one day you'll go out and you as you will look at everything and then you come home and you're like okay i probably should not look and the next day you go out again and then you're like the first time you see someone you're like okay remember what happened yesterday okay let me lower my gaze right and 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 it it takes practice right like with anything it's a skill that we need to develop right and you know and just because we we slip or we fall or whatever that's 
like you were saying, that's that Satan talking to us to, to get us to lose hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to get us off the path. It's all part of his plan. So, you know, we get back up, we dust ourselves off, and we, we keep going, right? And we keep developing, keep developing that strength. And, and so, the, I mean, there, there's another hadith of uh, Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari, um, who says, um, you know, I asked the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about the unexpected glance, and the Holy Prophet replied, avert your eyes, meaning don't look back deliberately. Um, and then in another short but powerful statement reported by um, reported in the Musnad of Imam Ahmed, the Holy Prophet وسلم, says, the glance is one of the empoisoned arrows of Iblis. So, you know, it's again, it's one of one of the things in Iblis's arsenal which he uses to to you know, the, remember the three-step thing that he he finds a weakness, he exploits our desires and takes us towards that which Allah subhanahu wa doesn't want us to do. So the glance is one of the things that he uses to engage us. 100%, yeah. And, and so um, one of the very nice descriptions about how this happens, um, and nice in terms of being poetic and not nice in terms of the process because it's horrifying, but <laughs> shaitan, you know, enters the heart through our looking or our gaze, and then he penetrates the heart faster than the wind that is blowing through an empty space. Uh, he may present to us an image that we looked at and would make it attractive like an idol to which our hearts become devoted. It's it's that passionate longing. And then he encourages us and gives us hopes and fans the flames of desire in our hearts. And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah An-Nisa, يَعِدُهُمْ وَيُمَنِّيهِمْ وَلَا يَعِدُهُمُ الشَّيْطَانُ إِلَّا غُرُورًا Which means Satan promises them and arouses desire in them, but Satan does not promise them except delusion. So he adds fuel to a fire that's already flaming, and this results in infatuation and frustration. So in other words, what we can say is that between the eyes and the heart, there is a connection, which means that one is affected by the other. And if one of them becomes good, the other will become good. So if we take care of our vision and, and we avert our gaze from that which is unlawful, then you know our heart is content and peaceful. Um, and it becomes righteous. And if one of them is corrupt, the other will become corrupt by the same token. And so it applies both ways. If the heart becomes corrupt, obviously the gaze will also become corrupt. And if the gaze becomes corrupt, the heart will become corrupt. And if, if one of them is sound, the other will be sound, and so on. So this is one thing to keep in mind. Um, and some of our scholars have actually explained, you know, how the process happens. So anadra, um, which means the glance, lies at the root of so many quote-unquote accidents or hawadith in Arabic, or unfortunate events that kind of befall us. And, and here we're talking about the, the realm of desires or lusts and, it, and, and what it can lead to. And as we know by experience, a simple glance can can come from just a suggestive thought, which is a khatira. So we have a suggestive thought that comes right out of nowhere. Um, and if this is if this is unchecked, this khatira is unchecked, and it is there, it kind of festers and it gives rise to a more stable and long-lasting thought, which becomes a fikra. Right? An idea, long-lasting idea or thought that is similar to what we call fantasizing. Now, if this fikra becomes unchecked, then it takes it takes itself to the next level, which it kind of ignites the carnal desire, and this becomes shahwa. Again, we're talking about desire, so shahwa. And then if this shahwa is unchecked, it can become 
an actual will, which is irada, to, to carry out this prohibited act. I haven't yet carried it out, but I have the intention or the will to do that. Again, going back to the nafs al-ammara which is our lower nafs, if, if we desire something, we have the shahwa for it, to, to the, you know, for moving from that point to the point of having the irada is, is a huge step. Which which kind of brings us to the point just before the point of no return. They say so. It's it's at, I'm at the brink of actually committing the haram, and and that is the the risky stage. That is the most dangerous part because I'm about to commit the haram. And if this is unchecked, then this irada or the will is going to strengthen to the point where it becomes a firm resolution, which is the azima jazima. Right. Once I am resolved to commit the act, then either I have this point of no return after which the act will definitely follow unless it is prevented by some external uh, impediment this this would ultimately end up in, in the act itself so we, we can see that there's a sequence as to how things develop if they remain unchecked so so as i described this is this is from our tradition our scholars have described this sequence and it's very accurate it's very nuanced um you know how, how these things emerge we're going from a, a you know a stray glance of the eye and then it becomes khatra which eventually becomes a shahwa it ignites the desire and then it becomes an irada uh, and then it becomes a firm resolution to commit the act and eventually the act will follow understanding the psychology of the, of the nafs is very important for us to kind of get a handle on our actions and to understand okay i'm at that stage which means that there is danger coming in so let me okay let me be firm with myself because otherwise things are not going to go well right um, and this this happens with all of our actions whether ssa inflected or not uh, it, it, it it applies to everything in our life particularly our sexual behaviors obviously mm -hmm. I mean, that's really interesting because the way you've described it is very similar to the way sort of psychologists describe, you know, addictive, destructive behaviors. And they talk about the series of steps that lead up to it and, and how important it is that you catch yourself early to stop this, this cascade effect from, from taking place. Because the, the later on you wait until the more difficult it is to then stop yourself, right? It's like, exactly. like anything. So it, that's, mm -hmm. subhanAllah, that's really interesting that, that it's the same sort of thing that's actually been recognized through, through, through our faith. So exactly. it, this idea of this whole thing about lowering the gaze, catching something mm -hmm. early, so the earlier you catch yourself in this increasingly incendiary process, the easier it is to control and, and then rein in the nafs. So obviously, then the earlier you are in the process, the more chances you have of being able to restrain the passions of, of the nafs through through the sort of the the restraint of of the intellect or, or the aql that we have, which in a way ties down or or holds down or restrains the the waywardness of of our passions. So and, you know, and we see this in other things as well. You know, people who are recovering alcoholics, you know, they're told don't even go to a place where people are consuming alcohol as in don't wait until you know you're at the bar and then say no as in just don't even get into that situation in the first place so it's it's it's, it's a it's a common thing that that's recognized through sort of behavioral psychology exactly. mm -hmm. so um so then obviously we, we you know we've spoken about haya we've talked about lowering the gaze there are obviously a number of other things that our, our, our dean gives us to help us in, in this, this this struggle that we have with our desires and and we know that fasting is is one of the, the major things, right? So there's a there's a famous hadith of the Holy Prophet وسلم, who says, you know, whoever among you can afford to get married, let him do so. And whoever cannot afford it should fast, for it will be a restraint, uh, a, a wijah for him, right? So 
you know, we talk about people who are unable to get married, you know, regardless of you know, whether they have OSA or SSA or all these sort of things. And, and we talk about, about fasting, right? And we have to realize fasting, fasting is not just about not eating, right? You know, the Quran tells us that fasting is to build our taqwa, right? This idea that having this connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps us then move forward and, and deal with uh, our lusts using our intellect in terms of the bigger picture. Um, and we learn from our faith that fasting is not just a fast of the stomach, it's a fast of the eyes, it's the fast of the mouth, it's the fast of the limbs. It's it's doing all these things to increase our awareness. It's not just about not eating, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't feel hungry because I, I know even in my family, you know, we sometimes we have discussions and we're like, okay, well, what can I eat for Sahari so that I don't feel hungry during the day? And I'm sitting there going, but we should feel hungry, as in we should have this physical stimulus that wakes us up and that makes us realize that there is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that He provides for us, that we are needy on Him, that you know, this chain reaction that we, we should go through through the hunger, but it shouldn't just stop at the hunger. It should be mm-hmm. uh, more than that. It should be the hunger should be the thing that kicks us off in terms of moving towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you know, and you know, you know we go through this obviously in Ramadan, you know, we we leave Ramadan and then we miss Ramadan because of, of the, the the things that it has done for us spiritually, you know. Mm. Um, we've been, you know, ha, you know, curbing our desires, you know, for f- food and drink uh, and, and, you know, restraining ourselves in terms of our, you know, chastity and, and, and what we engage in using our pirate parts. The, these are all... Um, these are all things that help build our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that help build that remembrance with him mm-hmm. um, and and help you know, teaches us that, you know, for something so basic that a human needs as food, you know, we it teaches us that we can restrain from it uh, for a certain amount of time um, and that we have the ability to, to, to do it. So, you know, fasting is definitely one of those things that, that can help curb desires, but only if we do it. Yeah, only if we can do it, obviously, because some people can't fast, but um, but only if we do it with the right mindset and in the right way, right? Exactly, 100%. And so it follows that, um, so other than, you know, modesty, as, as Hashem was saying, and then lowering the gaze and, and fasting, we also have other activities that we can engage in to kind of curb those desires. We're talking from a spiritual perspective, so there is, in, in, when we engage in dhikr or the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we make dua and supplications, when we pray, when we read Qur'an, even making wudu, just engaging in the, in the act, and it's, it's a form of worship, making wudu, um, you know, this actually helps us uh, curb these desires also. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-A'raf, and if an evil suggestion comes to you from Satan, then seek refuge in Allah. Indeed, he is hearing and knowing. Indeed, those who fear Allah, when an impulse touches them from Satan, they remember him, and at once they have insight. So it's like we are all tempted by this. And when we remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's like we wake up from that state and we have insight. So it's like we have insight once we remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we are taken away from that state. So this is this is a very powerful reminder from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep in mind, inshallah. SubhanAllah, SubhanAllah. Okay, so, so then, then leading on from that uh, idea that we engage in the dhikr and remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's, it's, it kind of leads on to the idea that we need to be conscious about what we're doing with our time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You know, there are times in the day 
when we're, we're idle, we've got nothing to do. Um, and, you know, there's, there's even verses from, from the Bible in the book of Proverbs that, that say things like, you know, idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? And, and we all know what that's like. You know, you're bored, maybe you're, you know, going home on the tube or uh, something that's, that's very difficult for me personally is that when I finish the day and I go up to my bedroom before bed, I kind of want, you know, for 10 minutes just to unwind, you know, I, I, oh, this is what happens to me. I lift up my phone to set my alarm for tomorrow morning and then I see the notifications come up and then I open them and then I go, okay, let me see what was on YouTube. What you know, and this mindless scrolling or what, let me see what's on Instagram, mindless scrolling. And you know how bad Instagram is, especially that explore tab, which, which, which has like, you know, um, it, it has uh, sort of built-in intelligence to know the sort of things that you've clicked on before. So it keeps yes. showing you those same things again. And it's like, oh my God, it's like Satan in a tab. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's so bad. It's so bad. And they, they know it because they want to keep you on the platform because they want to sell you stuff that, you know, they're there to make money at the end of the day. They don't care about your, your, your Dean or your morals anyway. But, but, you know, this whole idea that, you know, this mindless surfing of websites is just chatting on apps. You know, we should, try and fill our time with useful things you know um so for me the thing i did to counter that is okay well before bed let me read some quran instead let me let me fill that time with something good with something beneficial because that can only lead to something better right Mm -hmm. so so then now i try and set my alarm as soon as i get home from work and then i make sure that before i'm going to bed i don't need to pick up my phone anymore i can just you know read some quran instead and 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 so so substitute better things for for the worst yeah, so so even you know we know the quran says things like um um repel evil with that which is best so 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 substituting this mindless rolling just before bed with something good like reading quran you know it's it's fighting evil with that which is which is best so uh you know busy ourselves with things that are useful you know sports exercise reading learning gaining knowledge um even if it's socializing in a halal way, you know, hanging out with good friends, visiting family, these are all forms of ibadah, right? You know, mm-hmm. maintaining these connections, you know, volunteering, working, studying, charity, supporting others, uh, or you know, even like we said in the previous point about connecting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if it's something, you know how, you know, sometimes, sometimes you, and I'm sad to say, sometimes you're just not in the mood to look at something too deep. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just want something light and just something just to wind down. And maybe you're not ready to, you know, read a heavy du'a about, you know, mm. things, you know. So then, so then, you know, I get in these moods and I'm like, okay, well, what's the best thing I can do? Okay, let me at least watch a David Attenborough documentary or something like that. Let me at least, you know, look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation in, in a way that that's not too taxing on me. And, and you know, I'm, maybe I'm not ready to you know, read the Quran tonight, but actually let me still do something that's good in a way um, that helps me remember God in a light way even. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, but this this idea that we need to make use of our time rather than, you know, I'll, I'll tell you about, you know, a few years ago, no, quite a few years ago, I remember, I remember because I, I had issues with, you know, the internet and images and, and, and that sort of thing. And I remember sitting in my room on my laptop and you know i've gone into this habit of just before bed i'd open up my laptop and i you know I'd, 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 I'd kind of see what was going on whatever on the internet and i remember that there was a big mirror kind of to my left and i remember at one point glancing to the mirror and seeing myself 
but not realizing that that was me. And I remember looking at this person sitting on the computer at 10 to 12 at night, you know, looking at these images. And like part of my SSA, part of the things I deal with is I, I constantly look at other people who I wish I was like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think a lot of people listening to this will be able to relate to that, that it's mm-hmm. this kind of like, I want to be him, I wish I was him, why am I, why am I me, that sort of thing. And I remember looking looking at myself in, in, in the mirror, seeing this person on this computer late at night, wasting his time, thinking, what are you doing? How is this helping you get to where you want to be, right? If you want to be this person that you keep looking at at midnight every night, you know, why don't you do something about it? Don't just look at his image. Go to the gym if, if that's your issue, you know. Go go and have make healthy friendships if you're lonely, if that's the issue. Don't waste your time, waste our time trying to get things in a futile way because it's just not going to help. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us so many ways that we can get these in, in healthy channels and healthy pursuits, right? And as you were saying, sometimes we, we you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that is religious, but it can be all sorts of things that are healthy, that are keeping us occupied in doing healthy things, building habits, you know, sports and exercise, as you were saying, reading something useful, learning, uh, hanging out with friends sometimes, visiting family, doing volunteer work, studying, working, supporting other people, whatever that may be, as long as we are, you know, not sitting with idle hands, right? Because that is the devil's workshop. Yeah. And it it follows also that it doesn't necessarily mean that we busy ourselves just for the sake of being busy, because that also kind of, you know, backfires in other ways. But, you know, sometimes we need to also be mindful and just be aware of our thoughts and what we are saying, to be aware of our emotions and feelings. Um, and what has helped me personally, for example, I enjoy doing yoga. I do enjoy doing meditation. Meditation has really done wonders for me because I sit down with myself. I have all of these thoughts and ideas racing in my head that never shut up. And, and so I sit with myself and I give my mind the liberty of, of going through all of these thoughts and then achieving the sense of stillness and being mindful of all of that. And then sometimes doing journaling or sometimes talking to others and it helps me kind of ask myself the questions, what triggered those particular emotions or thoughts? that are not helpful or not healthy or triggering traumatic, whatever they may be. Why was I triggered? When? How? So on. So um, many of these thoughts and emotions actually pass after some time and they leave on their own, particularly desires, you know. Once we become mindful of them, once we become, once we deconstruct them, uh, they lose their essence. They're demystified. And so we acknowledge their existence, but we don't entertain them. And many of those thoughts are going to leave on their own. But once we dwell upon them and we engage with them, and again, we go through that sequence again, things are not going to be <laughs> yeah. nice. Best, Absolutely. Right? So. Absolutely. And, and I think sort of like we were saying before about trying to catch things early and stop things from, from getting to a stage where they cascaded down or be- got to a point at which there, there was like a point of no return. So in, in the same sense, we if there are people uh, that we we should avoid, if there are places or things that we should avoid. So I think Richard Cohen's referred to this in, in his stage one. Um, you know, don't give yourself an opportunity um, uh, if there is, you know, if there's some place that you shouldn't go to. Uh, if, it, if it's encouraging these feelings in your heart, try and avoid these places. You know, if, if there's certain company that encourages these feelings in your heart, then try and avoid that company. 
um, and it's really important. And and that's a really hard thing. You know, I, I've had to I've had to walk away from a number of friendships. You know, with people who are who are in the lifestyle because you know you know what it's like. You're you're growing up. You're not that engaged in your Muslim community. You feel that they don't understand you. The only people that understand you are perhaps people engaged in the lifestyle, right? And 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 you kind of reach a point where you're like, I have to walk away from this friendship. This is not helping me get to where I want to get to. And it's scary, right? It's so scary because you think I'm going to walk away from this and I'm going to be on my own. I'm going to there's this one person that I used to talk to that used to understand me completely. That used to I used to be able to say anything to because they knew my inner deepest darkest secrets that I couldn't tell my family. I couldn't tell my community. This person gets it, but. But you know what, if, if, if having that person in your life is leading you to not live, you know, within obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that, that's not a good thing, right? And it's a difficult decision, right? It's a sacrifice, right? We have to make, right? Who, you know, and you know, what is, you know, I remember reading a book saying, what is your Ishmael? What is the thing that you have to give up that's keeping you from God? What is that this, you know, what price are you willing to pay to to find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it, it's it's horrible it's a it's it's a really difficult decision to walk away from things like that and it's really scary but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pulls through at the end of the day he will give you something better that than that right so I, I I've never regretted it in the long term when I look back Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always substituted something much better for for that right so like like I know you brother Rahid right you are in my life as in I've worked with you and we have like a circle of friends that we speak to about this and we can be completely honest with on a level where we all understand each other and we all have the same values, right? This is something I didn't have with my with the friends that I had to walk away from. And you know what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me that in place of that first thing, right? Because he was like, he must have realized that I needed this. I needed this opportunity to be honest and to, and to talk. and But I needed people who were on the same same wavelength as me. And and so so remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always pulls through at the end of the day on his schedule. So so yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Indeed, indeed, beautifully said. And it actually follows from what you said. So um avoiding all of these temptations and walking away from people or places or things that trigger us and um replacing them with good people, with a good supportive system, then it, another thing that we also need to keep in mind that we are all tempted we will all face moments when you know our desires or our thoughts or our emotions take over us and so it's very important and i remember richard cohen used to say this continuously and you have all of these you know 12-step programs and support systems that also keep on saying this when you are in those moments reach out to your support system reach out to your friends reach out to your mentors reach out to people that you trust who can help you through this through these moments do not be alone to avoid being alone in those moments instead of reaching out to a, a pornographic website or going to to do a, a bad habit that you want to quit or reaching out to people that you want to leave because they're bad influence reach out to someone that you trust who's a good person who shares your own values um you know, in those moments when we are tempted, triggered, we will have this desire to act out, whatever that may be, hooking up, you know, going on grinder and looking for the next hookup or whatever, no, don't use the phone for that. Use the phone to actually access a, a, a person's, a, you know, a friend's phone number and call them or text them and reach out to your support system. Channel all of these desires, let them all out, do not let them fester. Even if you're angry, sometimes we're really angry, let all of that anger out. 
maybe maybe write it down because once you put them into words, this loses its uh, it it loses its value. It, it, you are letting it out of your own system. Or talking to a friend again. Um, when we talk to friends, we allow all of these emotions and thoughts to kind of dissipate so that they're no longer holding us captive so this is a very important point to, to always remember again it's not easy but with habit we get used to actually getting in touch with friends and when friends are triggered or they're going through their own problems they can call us and then it's, it's mutual right it goes both ways yeah yeah it's not one way thing at all and and this is the last thing that you know we wanted to talk about was was obviously marriage right so marriage is a sunnah in islam um we and then we see this in terms of Islamic advice in general. And so for, for people with, with SSA, this is obviously a, it's a tricky topic. It's got a lot of nuances. Um, and, and inshallah, you know, we, we will cover this in, in later episodes in, in this season. But, you know, if, if you have desires and you have, you have the ability to get married, both sort of in terms of your circumstances and in terms of the way you feel, if you, you, know, if you feel ready for it, then don't shut that door just because you've had SSAs or you currently experience SSAs. It's, an, right. it's something that, um, you know, on the support groups, it's something that it's worth talking about, especially to the brothers who, even despite their SSAs, have gone ahead and gotten married, you know, and get their advice. You know, it's, it's worked for some of them. It hasn't worked for others of them, but go into it with an open mind. You know, I always, I always tell myself and I tell other people just because you have SSAs doesn't mean you can't be an amazing husband. It doesn't mean you can't be an amazing lover mm. to your wife. It can't it doesn't mean you can't be an amazing father to your children. Yeah. You know, you're not asked to find all women attractive. You're asked to just devote yourself to at least one woman if you can, right? But then Islamically a marriage is not a wajib thing. It's it's a sunnah thing. So if, if you can do it then 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 let, let's not close the door to it. And with this, we have come to the end of this episode. In the next episode, inshallah, we will be talking about spiritual awakenings and wrapping up the spiritual series of episodes in this podcast. The next episode is published back to back with this episode. So when you have the time, jump right in and we will talk to you there, inshallah. This has been Hashim and Wahid Jensen in Away Beyond the Rainbow. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Thank you.